0: This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Dungeon Master's Handbook. I'm Michael Chicago Wiz. Glad you're listening. I'm really excited about this episode because this is something that I have wanted to do, oh gosh, I, at least since I've been doing this campaign, and pretty much as long as I've been uh, playing D&D, I have always wanted to have huge battles. Um, from an early age, I always loved playing the uh, old Avalon Hill uh Uh, hex and chit games where you had the counters and you moved them around and you had the big battles and I used to love seeing pictures in magazines of all of the big Napoleonic battles and I always thought it would be so neat to recreate the huge battles that I read about in uh, science fiction and fantasy novels Battle of the Five Armies of course the Battle of Pelennor Fields um I never got a chance to when I was young playing uh, D&D, but when I started this campaign nine years ago, I thought, you know what, this is something that I really definitely wanted to do. I wanted to have a way of having the PCs jump from being a, you know, one-on-one D&D situation to being in a huge combat full of, you know, humans and elves and Halflings to the left and right of them facing off against a sea of orcs and goblins. I just, oh, I, just, I would love that. So I was looking for a way of incorporating mass combat into what is typically one-on-one D&D. But I wanted to do it in such a way that A, it was painless as, po- painless as possible. B, it was seamless to the game so that we didn't have to feel like that we were jumping, say, from playing chess to playing Monopoly. Um, And I wanted something that was accessible to my players. Some of my players have extensive background in wargaming. Some of them are gaming publishers and designers and they know this stuff. Some of them have been playing D&D and wargames for a long time. Some of them don't have the slightest clue about any of that history, but that's okay. They don't care, but they still play D&D and have a great time doing it. I wanted something that I could use for all of them. And that's a tall order, as, as you might guess. So what did I look at? Well, first I looked at, very obviously, Chainmail. Um, Chainmail is a war game, set of rules, that was published in the early 70s by uh, TSR, and it was based off of a rule set that the folks up in Lake Geneva were using and playing with. Um, Gary Gygax incorporated uh, fantasy elements into it, And the whole history of D&D being that he and David Arneson really liked doing this kind of stuff with the fantasy and the dungeon and the monsters and all of that. In fact, David Arneson was kind of doing it first, show Gary. Gary fell in love with it, came up with his own way of doing it. The two got together, they collaborated, thus D&D was born, and there's a whole history behind that. And there's actually books now about it. I encourage you to go read those. Um chainmail was the progenitor um, in fact if you pick up the original dnd is published in 1974 it says right there on the first page you should grab your set of chainmail rules because that's going to help you get through this so it made sense to look at chainmail as a set of mass combat rules in order to use it with dnd even though i'm playing advanced dungeons and dragons why not go back to the beginning And I looked at it and I gave it serious thought. Um, There was a lot of things to like about Chainmail. Number one, it was kind of already set up that you could pull from your D&D game and get involved into a mass combat somewhat seamlessly. But the problem that I ran into was twofold. One, Chainmail was written almost a decade prior to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and... The rules felt different enough. ad obviously has its own system and its own way of doing things. Chainmail was based on somewhat more of a free-flowing, let-the-referee-figure-it-out kind of thing, as well as it approached combat differently. Um, in ad you roll a d20. In Chainmail, you roll d6s and the way you plot out hits is differently and the way you think of your figures are differently and while PCs could become their own people instead of just part of a bigger army you had to be a certain level to do it and the rules were kind of fiddly so thinking about how i could pull someone from a chainmail from an ad and d game into a chainmail game didn't seem like it was going to work very well so the next thing i looked at was a small supplement to the 1974 uh original dungeons and dragons rules you might not have heard of it but it is called swords and spells now this is a really interesting set of rules and i really debated on using this um It would have flowed a little bit better because it incorporated more elements of D&D as we know it now into the rules but it was way fiddlier um, especially how you calculated uh, damage Um, it didn't feel as seamless just from how things were gonna be approached and I tried a couple of solo games where I tried to imagine and pull in situations where the uh, players might move from, you know, one-on-one D&D into mass combat, and it didn't really work out. It's a fun little game in and of itself, and I don't mind pulling the rules out every now and then and just uh, sitting down and reacquainting myself with uh, how Gary Gygax and company looked at uh, at mass combat with D&D in the late 70s, but I ended up throwing that away too. So then I looked at something that was written in the early 80s specifically for advanced Dungeons and Dragons and Mass Combat, and this is a set of rules called Battle System. Now, Battle System, because it was built to reflect ADD, was an extremely complex set of rules um, in combat and in magic. And this was a full-on war game with all of the fiddly bits. And while it made it so that you could take a PC and move it from one-on-one d and to a mass combat scenario, um, it was really written for war gamers. And it wasn't something that I felt like I could quickly and easily teach to people who didn't know war games. So I was stumped, nothing released by TSR in the 70s and early 80s seemed to work. Um, Just as an aside, I wasn't actually aware of the um, basic expert uh, rules called War Machine. Um, There's a book that was released, I believe it was the late 80s or early 90s called Rule Cyclopedia. And what they did was that wrapped in a whole bunch of rules set that have been released in the 80s for basic dungeons and dragons uh, starting with basic then you went on to expert DD, then you had uh companion master and then i think immortal yes um and so this war machine rules was written somewhere in that point and and i saw it in a rules encyclopedia I may give it a look sometime, but I, I didn't go that direction because I didn't know about it. So what am I going to do? I'm not finding anything. Um, I looked at something outside of the D and D world. There is a game called Hordes of the Things. That's kind of an odd name, but uh, it was written by a gentleman by the name of Phil Barker, who is best known in wargaming circles for having written a set of rules called. DBA, De Bellis Antiquatis. I hope I pronounced that correctly. It's been a long time since I've tried to speak Latin. Um, Phil, in the early 90s, had grown tired of the r- rules that had grown over in the UK and in the uh, war game world in general. He wanted to go back to something that was a little bit more basic, a little bit more fun. He wanted to actually have battles within a couple of hours from start to finish, but where this could somewhat accurately depict what it might feel to have, you know, Romans versus the Gauls or, you know, um, Assyrians versus Sumerians and that sort of thing. So he came up with these very um, basic quick flowing rules. Now, out of those wargaming rules, then he adopted a set of rules that was fantasy-based to where it wasn't just um, refighting the wars of history. You could now take your Romans and put them up against the orc hordes, or you could refight the battles uh, of uh, John Carter on in his Barsoom uh, Mars uh, books. Uh, John Carter's the the hero. Uh, anyway, um, you could refight virtually any battle that you could come up with the armies for. And and the set of rules was was a lot like DBA. Very simple. Um, well, fairly simple. Phil Barker has an interesting take on the English language, much like Gary Gygax did when he wrote D&D. Uh, and, and they call it Barkerese for a reason. Sometimes you have to really ask people what the hell did Phil mean when he said this um so aside from that easy set of rules fairly uh fairly easy to learn fairly simple to set up and run I thought I had my answer here it was now calling it my holy grail um so I noodled around for about a year with trying to figure out how to pull PCs into a hordes of the things, also known by its acronym HOT, H-O-T-T, how to pull the PCs into that kind of battle. And, and I tried it a couple of times and it just didn't work. It was so frustrating. One of two things was happening, either to have the effect or to kind of reflect that, hey, the PCs are part of this battle. They, I either had to scale them up or they were going to have to wait till they were tenth level just to be able to step onto the battlefield. Well, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> Excuse me. At this rate, tenth uh, level is going to take us a few years to get to. So I was very frustrated. How do I make this work? You know, how do I make us? How do I make the spells work? And and it just seemed to elude me. And I kind of gave up until. Another blogger from the 2008 through 2012 OSR explosion, if you will. Uh, his name is Daniel Collins and this blogger came up with an amazing solution. Now you may know him uh, if you are if you read the OSR blogs. he's, he's, he's known on the uh, blog as Delta. And he, his blog is Delta's d and Hotspot. And I'll put the URL in the uh, description on my blog. Um, he's a statistician and he also teaches statistics. And he is really good at diving down into d and and pulling out its guts from a numbers point of view. And then simplifying that or explaining it in such a way that it makes sense to everybody. So he went in, he looked at the very same sources I looked at. He looked at chain mail. He looked a lot at swords and spells. Um, I don't think he really, I don't think he liked uh, battle system very much, if I remember correctly. He derived his own set of rules, and he called it book of war. And essentially the basic core rules fit on four pages. Let me repeat that again. Mass combat, where one of the little figures or miniatures on the table represents 10 men, four pages of rules. Very simple, easy to understand rules. And when I read that, I was excited because not only was this an easy to understand rule system, but the way he had done it was statistically accurate To how the D&D combat works. So even though. We're going from D20 to D6. Taking into account. Armor class. Levels. That sort of thing. It's all there. You would get the results. That you would expect to get. Statistically speaking. If you were rolling this out. One D20 at a time. I loved it. But he had a theory in which he said, you know what, you have to be a 10th level PC in order to step yourself onto my battlefield and be its own figure. And I said, oh no, oh no, we are going to figure this out. Because I had an idea of taking the PCs and creating a party. And as long as that party of PCs equals 10 hit dice... They can have a figure in the book in a book of war battle. I broke the uh, I broke the code or I broke the mystery, solved the mystery, broke the code, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I came up with a derivative of his rules and tried it out, and it worked wonderfully. We had a scenario where the PCs needed to um, help uh, the Marshals forces recut or actually it was a mercenary company's forces, recover a fort from the orcs. The PCs did some special ops kinds of things, sneaking into a a dungeon underneath the fort, um, distracting everyone, allowing the uh, mass combat forces to fight. And then the PCs also joined in that battle. It worked brilliantly. The people that didn't know Wargaming picked up on the rule right away. They rolled a d6. They're like, I'm attacking that person. We're moving here. We're doing this. We're doing that. And it was as if they were playing D&D. They were just using different dice to do it. And the figure represented many men rather than one little figure. At last, I had found my holy grail. And that's what I've been using ever since. Um, I've had now... uh, Three mass combat scenarios using my derivative of the uh, Book of War rules. And not only have I used it in my AD&D campaign, but I've also used it in my one-on-one game with The Princess Wife. I'm going to talk about my one-on-one game in a future podcast episode. But uh, she picked up on it really easily. Um, And I've also used it in some of my one-shots that I play at uh, conventions or at events where you know the PCs have stumbled into a huge battle or they've caused a huge battle we shift gears I explain it to them very quickly I got have a little spiel about how this works we do it and it works out wonderfully um so the idea was get everyone involved so when i have a mass combat scenario typically what i'll do is is even though we have one unit if you will it's actually one figure that represents the pcs and they're going to make kind of come to a collaborative decision on what they're going to do um i nominate an old school uh, role for the pcs it's called a caller one player will tell me this is what the pc figure is going to do Um, but I allow my other players to control other elements, other units of the battle so that they can kind of get into it and help, you know, participate in, in the whole thing rather than just standing around waiting for this, uh, battle to adjudicate. I've also used my rules to do something really crazy. I, in a solo game, decided what would it look like if I took a hundred men into a dungeon? So (laughs) I did it. Um, I'll post a URL blog or I'll post the URL to the blog post um, on that, as well as I will give you the URL to my derivative of the book of war rules and to the book of war rules themselves. Um, They're available through Lulu. I think it's $5, $10. It's ridiculously small amount of money for a great set of rules. What's my biggest takeaway from incorporating mass combat into your D&D game? Uh, One It wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be, but it is possible when you find a set of rules that meshes with how you run your game at your table. I wanted to keep it simple and keep it consistent with my version of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, um, but I wanted to make it accessible to everybody, and I found a rule set that works. And uh, sure enough, um, I've used it a few times, and it really does work. Um... You can do this. Uh, You might have to experiment a little bit. That's half the fun. Um, You might have to call some people over and play a couple of scenarios and see which one seems to fit the way you run your campaign. But I really encourage you to do it. Um, Old school D&D definitely feels closer sometimes to a war game than you might think. And uh, marching 100 people into a dungeon is kind of a cool thing to do give it a shot sometime. Um, In a future episode of my podcast, I am going to actually talk about war games themselves and how they fit into my overall campaign world. And that's a different topic than meshing uh, mass combat with uh, my uh, one-on-one D&D game. Um, So that's it. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. And thank you for all the comments and suggestions you've made. A lot of them I've kept and I'm going to use them for future episodes, so please keep them coming. Uh, Let me know how I can make this podcast more useful. You can subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud through its RSS feed, or I am on iTunes uh, or Google Music Play. And uh, the URLs to all of the various places that I'm at, as well as Facebook, um, are on the blog, dungeonmaster.wordpress.com. Alright, that's it. So until next time, game on.